Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, March 23rd, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 18, the first four paragraphs. Today's readers are Rachel and M, Chrissy G, and Leslie M, reading the text and reading the steps, um, Janice M, and reading the traditions, Kathy C. Uh, the reference numbers for yesterday, Wednesday, March 22nd, the 7 a.m. meeting is 9750, and the 10 a.m. meeting is 9751. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry this message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA who still suffer. Um, Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps. Star one, Janice, to unmute. Sorry about that. Yes, I am Janice M. And I'm grateful to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our life our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve 
our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Janice M. And I will now ask Kathy C. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Press star 1, Kathy, to unmute. Kathy Kay, I can do that if you would like. Oh, that would be great, Melanie. Thank you. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Melanie C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, calling in from Oregon. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversies. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Melanie C. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share in what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. 
This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 18, the first two paragraphs. I will ask Rachel and M to get us started. Good morning, Kathy Kay. This is Rachel and M. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater and anorexic from Ohio. An illness of this sort, and we have come to believe it is an illness, involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, all are sorry for him and no one is angry or hurt, but not so with the alcoholic illness, for with it there goes annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all those lives, all all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents. Anyone can increase the list. We hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are or who may be affected. There are many. Well, I'd like to tell you a little bit of what was going on in my life as this um, disease of compulsive overeating and restricting um brought its its power tighter around my life. Um, it says that, the par- first paragraph says that, for with it there goes annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. And the primary thing of worth I can see in life is relationships, and those were going fast. They were um, certainly becoming at the, at the uh, mercy of my disease as I... For exa- a couple examples, um, Thanksgiving dinner one year, I had eaten so much the night before or that morning that I I pretended like I was sick, um, and I probably was somewhat, but um, because so I could miss the Thanksgiving dinner, so I wouldn't um, have to eat more. Um, another example: I was a teacher at a private school. And I would have loved to play, I did love to play at recess with the children, but I got to the point where I had to stay in and and eat candy as fast as I could so I could go on with my day. Um, So when I came um, to Overeaters Anonymous and and Vision was my my first meeting, I was very informed and comforted. I did not know that there was such a thing as compulsive overeating. And, um, you know, I might have heard that term, but to find out, that that it was like alcoholism and that there was uh, the same solution was extremely comforting. Um, and I am I desire to comfort those who are new, who haven't been through the steps um, and put down the food, that there is a life after the food and that relationships can be restored and that the, the that there is a way out and that food is, is no longer my master. It comes after relationships today. Of course, it stays in its proper place, but, but it's, it comes after my relationship with God first and um, 
and then I'm free to think of others. And I praise God for what he's done in my life, and you can have it too. I pass. Thank you very much, Rachel. And, and who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Harlan G. Natasha B. Melissa C. It's Larry. Lisa B. Wait a second. Um, I have. I think I missed one person. I have Harlan G. Chrissy G. Melissa C. Larry K and Lisa B. Who did I miss? A. I'm sorry? Natasha A. That's the person. Okay, Natasha. I'll put you right after Harlan G. Okay, let's start with those. So we have Harlan, Natasha, Chrissy, Melissa, Larry, and Lisa. Please go ahead, Harlan. Thank you very much, Kathy, and thank you for your service. Thank you to Team Thursday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. From the time I was about five years old, four years old, people looked at me and wondered why on earth is he eating so much? And I looked at them and wondered why they weren't eating so much. And I wondered what Lake Michigan amount of willpower were they issued at some point that I missed out on. And they looked at me, and if I had robbed someone or I had thrown a little old lady over as she was crossing the street, they would have been kinder to me and more merciful to me. And they would have said, oh, well, he just made a mistake. He won't do that again. And what I didn't understand is that the vitriolic behavior, the anger, the the, the hatred that was heaped at me was because of a misunderstanding that somehow I was doing this to thwart them and to hurt people and because I was too stupid, too weak, lacked willpower, etc., etc., All my life, I wanted to die because I couldn't eat like them. I couldn't look like them. I couldn't react like them. And I couldn't run and jump and be thin like them. And I didn't understand that I didn't cause this. I can't cure this and I can't control this. I didn't do this. Now, I am responsible to pass this message of recovery to the next person. But I am not responsible for the fact that by some happenstance, I have an illness of the mind and an illness of the body. I have a very, very dear friend who lives in Los Angeles, California. And um, I have actually many friends who live in Los Angeles, California, but one of them is a big book person like me who does retreats and conventions like I do. And he walks into the room and he will walk in and say, how many of you are compulsive overeaters? And people will raise their hand. And he'll say, how many of you are ashamed of it? And many, many people will keep their hands up and he will point to page 18 at the top and say, put your hands down. You had nothing to do with it. This is not a weakness. This is not stupidity. 
this is not a failing of our character or of our willpower. We have more willpower than we know. How many of us have dieted successfully for a long time, but we can't keep it up? As Kim says, how long can you hold your breath underwater? But there is a way out. I brought misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents. Anyone can increase the list. I brought that upon myself because people didn't understand. But I have a place to go, and that's the point of this chapter. I have a point. I have a place to go where I am understood and I can understand, and that is Overeaters Anonymous, specifically a vision for you. There is a place that I can go where you speak and understand the language of the heart. It's not our fault, but now we can recover together. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Natasha A., please go ahead. Hi, this is Natasha A. in upstate New York. Thank you again, Rachel, for reading. Um, the first thing that sticks out is when it talks about it being an illness, and I can remember the first time that somebody identified what was wrong with me as an illness. For a long time, I felt like I, I lived in the shadow. I wouldn't tell people what was happening. Cause every time I would tell a friend what I was doing with food, they'd just look at me like I was crazy. And I remember when I found OA and somebody told me for the first time, they're like, no, this is real. This is actually an illness, just like diabetes. It's an illness. And for the first time, you know, I felt pretty validated. It felt real. And, you know, with every illness, most illnesses, there is a solution. There is a medicine. And the medicine for my illness is 12 steps out of the big book. And if I keep taking my medicine on a daily basis, I don't have the symptoms of my sickness. But any day that I miss my pill, I get sick again. And that's how I have to see this. And I'll just go down a little bit. And it talks about it engulfs the lives of who touch the sufferers. And it, it touched everybody. My, my eating disorder affected a lot of people around me. And I recently was in a, um, a session with a nutritionist. And my mom wanted to come by and visit and see what it was all about. And she started, you know, just laughing and cacking, bringing up old things. And she said, oh, yeah, Natasha, going to the supermarket with Natasha, that was a trip. And she was referencing to trying to go grocery shopping with me as a teenager because I would, I'd have these crazy outbursts. I would, she would put something in the cart and I'd start screaming, please, no, don't bring that home, Mom. Please don't do it. And she's like, what is it? It's just a thing of cookie that." No, Mom, I'm going to eat it. Please don't bring it home. I can't control myself. And that's how it went all through high school, these crazy bits of, I want this. Don't bring this in. I want this. We can have this now. And creating all these rules around food in my family, you know, I'd wake up one morning and say, we're not eating sugar anymore. Nobody in this house is eating sugar with me. By that night, I'd go out and have ice cream. And they all walk in the house, and I've got a gallon of ice cream in my lap. And they're like, well, what happened, Natasha? That was a mental blind spot for me, what happened there. And then just really quick to wrap up and touch about it being an illness, you know, when people have leukemia or cancer, we start these big GoFundMe things and we raise money to help them. But with this illness, not so much. This illness seems to hide in the, the shadow. You know, it's shameful. We see people eating in the store and we say, oh, why can't they just control themselves? Oh, how could they let themselves get that big? 
you know, if you could see diabetes or you could see cancer that obvious, you wouldn't say, oh, why couldn't they just not get cancer? So just to wrap it up a little bit more, I just think, I think I'm done. All right. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Natasha A. Chrissy Z, Chrissy C, G, I'm sorry, Chrissy G, please go ahead. Press star one to unmute. Okay, I'm not sure I got that name correctly, so not hearing Chrissy, I'll go on to Melissa C. Please go ahead, Melissa. Hi, good morning, Cassie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York, and um, you know, I would, I would imagine that if I found out today that I had cancer, I wouldn't, you know, go home and scream at myself like, "What did you do, you idiot?" Um, and yet, that was, you know, that was the self dialogue I had. Forget what the world made me feel like, um, you know, in the throes of this disease, but. The things I said to myself, I think, were incredibly cruel, you know. Um, besides, you know, treating my body like garbage, filling it with garbage, the words I would use, you know, on, on myself, I wouldn't say them to my worst enemy, you know. And um, I would look in the mirror and, you know, and scream and cry and um, and curse myself for what I did. And, um, you know... And yet, when I first found out that this was a disease, there was a piece of me um, that thought, are they kidding me? Like, that's what a cop-out. You know, that, that was the honest truth, what I, what I thought. This is a bunch of excuse-making, and if I just had a little more, you know, willpower, just a little more diet. And, and so, you know, because I didn't, get it or I didn't really want to get it, didn't believe it. I, I experimented a lot more until I came to truly understand, yeah, this is a disease because it makes no sense um, to describe it as anything else, to define it as anything else. I could do all sorts of things, um, you know, exerting willpower, exerting control. I'm an intelligent person, and yet willpower and control and intelligence could not cure this, just like willpower, intelligence, and control could not cure me if I had cancer, you know. And so um, when it finally sunk in for me, there was a huge sigh of relief because ah, it's not my fault, you know. It's like, okay, it is not my fault. It is just the way that I was created. And But I do have a responsibility to, to take the treatment. You know, and so when um, I work with people, you know, through the steps, um, yeah, say to them, work this like it's terminal cancer. It's not going to be a convenient um, treatment. This is not going to be convenient. But if you're dying, there is but one alternative, you know, a, a solution. And thank God, before we can know what the solution is, you know, we have to diagnose what the problem is. And, um you know, today I'm grateful to say it is a disease and there is a solution of the treatment. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Larry Kay, please go ahead. 
Hi, Kathy. Good morning. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Okay. Thanks so much for your service. You know, I, I have uh, a spiritual sickness. I have a spiritual malady. Um, here's the symptoms of my spiritual malady that other people don't like very much. Being restless, irritable, and discontented having trouble with personal relationships, that's a symptom, not being able to control my emotional nature, being a prey to uh, misery and depression, not being able to make a living or, or a happy and successful life, having feelings of uselessness. How about this one? Here's a symptom, being full of fear, follows me around everywhere I go, right? Unhappiness, inability to be of real help to other people, I'm being like the actor who wants to run the whole show, being driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, self-will run riot, leading a double life, living like a tornado running through the lives of others, exhibiting selfish and inconsiderate habits. Those are the, those are the symptoms of my spiritual malady. It's described throughout the text. But still in all, these are just symptoms of the spiritual malady. What is it really? Well, on page 62, the text explains, here's, a, here's, here's something, and this is the reason I need God. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. It's really the root of all my symptoms, all these manifestations of this disease, this spiritual disease. This selfishness, this self-centeredness, or this ego, as some people refer to it, drives us to respond to life situations with those symptoms I mentioned. And um, if I'm going to be able to live life where those symptoms don't own me, if I'm going to become untethered from those symptoms, I'm going to need to have a complete spiritual awakening, a complete restructuring, inward restructuring, so that I'm not the same person anymore. I work the steps in order to have that spiritual awakening. And then the, all those things change. All those things change. I'm not the same person that I used to be. That's what this is all about. I heard someone say, you guys have heard it too. That's what this is all about, Charlie Brown. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Lisa B., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you for your service. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for all the shares. This reading really speaks to me. Um, I looked up some of the words because they're very important words in my whole process that I've experienced. Um, illness, disease, or period of sickness affecting the body or mind. Well, for me, the malady of alcoholism and compulsive overeating, this book tells me, affects my body and mind. That's where my disease resides. And, you know, I thought that my compulsive overeating didn't hurt those about me. I thought it only hurt me, but when I look at page 53 in the 12 and 12, this perfectly describes me, but it is from our twisted relations with family and friends and society at large that many of us have suffered the most. So I have not been able to experience true brotherhood with anyone around me. You know, being in my disease, being an untreated compulsive overeater for many, many years, I was far away and really cut off from people around me. I couldn't feel their love. I couldn't sincerely give love without a selfish motive. I was remote and distant. 
And also, I was unable to connect with my higher power, which is what I so desperately have needed all along. That creative intelligence, that divine principle that's in and all around me, I could never access it. You know, um, I was in my early 20s. I got into my first apartment, and I stepped over the line in this disease where I could not stop making peanut butter toast. I literally could not stop making it and eating it and binging on it. I had my mother come over to help me, and the first thing she said to me was, oh, my gosh, this is exactly how your brother is with cocaine. And that's the first time I got an inkling that maybe this is an illness, you know. And I went on my research project of reading all about it in the bookstores, but it wasn't until I met someone in whom the problem had been solved, and gratefully that was through OA, A Vision for You, and I was able to hear what the real problem is and what the real solution. The other word that I looked up was engulf, which means sleep over so as to surround or cover it completely, submerge, flood. And that day in that apartment, I knew that I was a goner. I knew I was sunk, even though she took me out of the apartment and we went and sat someplace to try and get my mind onto other things. I knew that I was a goner, and I knew when I looked in her eyes that she didn't understand what I meant. But ironically enough, when I looked in my brother's eyes and I saw the exact same thing in his eyes, I knew he understood what I meant, but each of us didn't have a solution at the time. And then I look up the word warped become or cause to become bent or twisted. That's how I became from a young age, even before I engaged in compulsive overeating or any substances to medicate me. It's my mind. I really believe I was born that way. I think I took a resentment. I, I created a resentment with everyone I have ever met in my whole life, everyone, even people I've crossed the street with, just because um, I just that's just my mind. That's just the way my disease is. So I'm so grateful for these steps that I don't need to live that way and then I can feel the sunlight of the spirit. I can feel the love and most importantly, I can give it. I can give it and share it and help others. And I'm grateful to be recovered. Thank you for your service, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. We have time for a couple more on this section. Who would like to share? Julie M. Wait a second. I have Julie M, Nancy R, and Reva P. Okay, great. All right, we'll we'll extend a little bit to include Duell and Barbara E as well. Please go ahead, Julie M. Hi, this is Julie M. Recovered, compulsive over Colorado. Um, I'm focusing on the part that talks about. For with it goes annihilation of all things worthwhile in this life. Um, And then the part about blameless children. I can remember screaming at my kids for some reason that I I thought was absolutely justified. And my kids, looking at each other, they were probably about maybe 8 and 10, and they, one of them started laughing. They started laughing. And one of them pointed at me and said, look, she's hulking out. And I stopped in my tracks and I thought, oh, my God. First of all, my kids are laughing at me. And what I wanted to do was wring their necks and tell them, don't talk to your mother that way. But I had enough recovery in that moment to stop and think, 
oh my gosh, and just the humility came in, and it was one of those moments where I didn't want to submit to the truth, but I opened myself up to it, and I thought, oh my gosh, I am, my kids see me as oh, the Hulk, you know, bursting out of my clothes in anger, and and um, when I look at the next paragraph where it says, we hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are or who may be affected. Um, my children have not read this volume, but several years after the Hulk Out experience, they were talking to their father on the phone who's not in recovery, and he was effectively hulking out over the phone. And my son looked at me and said, you know, Mom, we used to have to deal with you blaming everybody and Dad blaming everybody and both of you being crazy, and now we deal with you the way you are. You've changed, but Dad's still crazy. And I thought, thank God for recovery because my kids haven't read the big book, but they see recovery in me. And I I think of someone on this line who says, recover, recover, recover. What can I do for those about me? I can recover myself. And um, thank God for program. With that, I'll pass. Julie, um, Nancy R., please go ahead. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, good morning, and thank you for your service. The shares this morning have really been awesome. I just want to speak briefly about the first line, an illness of this sort. When I came into Ovidus Anonymous and I was told that I had an illness, I accepted it. But um, a few years ago, I got a chance to look at the, uh, some research that uh, a researcher had done that shows the physiology of a normal eater and the, and, and the physiology of someone like me. And I, I read the work and I saw a diagram of what happens when uh, my uh, allergic substances enter my body and when they enter the body of a normal eater. And it was there in black and white. It was there, you know. I I had I had accepted the fact that I was I was ill, but when I really saw it in black and white, I saw that I'm doomed. If I put those substances in my body, my physiology dictates that I will crave more. And to actually see it in black and white was just really astounding. Uh, an enforcement of what I knew at a gut level. I was able to really process at an intellectual level. But I do have a disorder. I'm not like a normal person. My body misses several stages and um, that causes me to want more and more. That's why uh, normal people can eat one, because of what happens to them physiologically. It doesn't set up the phenomenon of craving. So today, today, I'm, today I thank my higher power that uh, he led me to an uh, awareness and understanding of who I am, what I am. I did not desire to be this way. I was born this way. I don't know if, you know, if it's genetics, whatever. I am what I am. I am who I am. And thank God that I was led to a way of life that enables me to live with this, in this disease and out of it. What a blessing. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy R. Reva P., please go ahead. 
Good morning. It's Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. You know, before I came to this program, um, being a compulsive overeater, uh, I didn't even know it had a name, but doing what I was doing with food um, was my biggest secret and my biggest source of shame and embarrassment. Um, And I knew I was doing something abnormal, um, but I didn't know that there were other people who did this and that it had a name and that it had a solution. Um, So this paragraph in the first sentence reminds me that I'm not a bad girl and I'm not a bad person who's trying to become a better person. I have an illness and this program helps me get well and healthy. Um, And you know what? It's like that and it Um, It was like that with the food, and it's the same with the character defects because after uh, being in program a while, I can sort of get um, angry with myself. I should have known better. I should have paused. Um, How could I say such a thing? I'm in program now. I know better. Um, And the steps remind me that I am going to make mistakes. Um, I'm not always going to be in fit spiritual condition. But as long as I continue to work, steps 10, 11, and 12, I can get realigned so that my first thought, my first behavior um, doesn't have to be the permanent one. And the other thing that this paragraph reminds me is I didn't know when I was in the disease that I was affecting, um, my behavior was affecting other people. I couldn't see beyond myself because it was all about me. But having been detoxed physically and then starting to work the steps, um, it's quite shocking to see the consequences of my um, eating and my behavior and how it affects others. But this paragraph, this, this chapter's title reminds me that there is a solution um, and there's nothing that can't be righted um, when put through the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Do L, please go ahead. Good morning. This is Do Recover Compulsive Overeater from New York. Um, grateful to be here. Uh, yeah, so what I see here is an illness of this sort. And, you know, what, what this paragraph is telling me is that I'm not, even in my illness, I'm not like a normal person that has an illness and people feel sorry for them. Uh, I'm like the person that I have an illness and people get angry at me because I I'm like the tornado whirring in the lives of others and destroying everything in my path with my illness. And and that's what it's telling me here, you know, that I have to I have to first understand that I am sick. It's not my fault for being sick. However, people are not going to treat me the same as someone who has cancer, right? Someone who has cancer, no one's angry with them. But with my illness, people get very angry with me you know, people get upset because they think that I can control it. And it's something that I can't control. If anything, I need to let go of the control. Um, Because when I'm in my illness, I touch the lives of others and they suffer too um, because of my compulsive eating. So what is this telling me? You know, what, what, what am I to understand from this? That if I have an illness that is, that people treat me differently, then that means I need a different remedy than, than normal people, you know, and my remedy comes from a higher power. It comes through these 12 steps and it comes to understanding who I am in this disease. You know, 
Um, I need to understand that I have twofold illness, um, an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And they both need to be addressed. And the first thing that it tells me is that I need to address my physicality with putting down the food. You know, that's the first thing. Um, that, And then the second thing is I need to address all of these character defects, all of these things that lead me back to the food, all the behaviors, all the thinking that leads me back to the food. I need to address that through the 12 steps. Um, and, and that means that, you know, I, I need to do some work. It takes, you know, part of my recovery is not that I get cured, but it means that I get to work on this through the spiritual experience to get better, you know, and there is a way out. And that's, that's a good thing. There is a remedy. There's not a cure, but there is a remedy. And, and that's what we're going to get into um, down the road. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Drew L. Barbara E., please go ahead. Barbara, press star one to unmute. Kathy, I think it was Vasa. Can you hear me now? Oh. Yeah, are you, Barbara? Yes, this is Barbara E. from New Jersey. Go ahead, please. Oh, thank you. I I wanted... felt it was important that I claim my seat at this awesome meeting, but my thoughts are going in a totally different direction than I thought they might be. I loved hearing um, when someone said, how many people are compulsive overeaters? Because we always start our meeting, our face-to-face, with that question. And, of course, everyone raises their hands. How many are ashamed? My hand would be raised the highest of all because I was so ashamed. I did not believe it was an illness. I believed I was just lazy, a glutton, without willpower. Any horrible name I could think of, I gave to myself. My daughter has a lobster allergy. When she eats lobster or even gets sprayed by someone at a nearby table eating lobster, she can go into anaphylactic shock. She has an illness. She is allergic to lobster, so she knows what she has to avoid. I'm the same way, and I have an illness, and finally, finally I accept it, and it has indeed engulfed all those whose lives I touched in the past. I was born a compulsive overeater, and my friends suffered because of it. I lied to them and told them I was busy when I really wanted to stay home and eat. I stole from them as I got older and moved into college so I could buy food at the food truck. My family was affected because I didn't go and participate. I was afraid to go ice skating with them. I was afraid to go down the water slide, that I would get stuck. I was afraid to do most anything because I could have trouble supporting my legs. Now, my adult son who's living with us has the same illness. He is a compulsive overeater, and it has affected our lives. And yet I've been judgmental and critical. 
And I realize it's not a disease. He's not a glutton, no more than I was. He's not lacking in willpower. And yet I persisted in judging him as he did, as he never did with me when I was in my disease and he was a child. When we go to a restaurant, we can't take the first available table. We have to whisper to the person who's seeting us, we, can't, we, I, we ha- can't have a booth. He can't fit in. A table only. So we, we, we may have to wait 40 minutes. I have to accept that. I always thought that steps one, two, and three would be the easiest. But step three is really the one that I need to work on daily. I hope I won't offend anyone by saying that my higher power has always been a Disney character, Tinkerbell. As long as I believe in her power, my faith that I can do this and I can be the person I'm meant to be, non-judgmental, non-critical, is strong. But when I start to forget about these things, when I start to lose my faith, her light tinkers, flickers, excuse me, and goes dim. And if I ever stopped believing in Tinkerbell, she'd die. We all know the story. And perhaps not literally, but uh, figuratively, uh, I might die too. So I'm glad to be here, and I thank you all. And I need to stop con- concentrating on what dis- dismays me and accept life, and it will get much easier. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Uh, We can take a few more. We'll stay on this reading if there are people who want to share. Nessa R. Nessa R. And who from Florida? Raz R. Raz R. And Vasa O. Okay, I think. um, Well, we may let's do those, and then we'll see what time we have left. Please go ahead, Nessa R. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, So I have this illness that I am not to blame for. I mean, I didn't choose it. It's not my fault. Just like somebody with diabetes or any other illness, any other allergy are not to blame for it, and it's not their fault. But I, I cannot hide behind that and say, well, I'm powerless, or, oh, I have an illness. There's nothing I can do about it. Just like somebody uh, with another illness has the responsibility to seek out the experts um, and implement the advice and solutions that they suggest, um, I also have a responsibility to do the same. And my experts are people in whom the problem has been solved, people who have recovered uh, from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body because they are the experts. You know, they are the experts not only in the disease, but in the recovery from the disease. And I have to do what they tell me to do. And, and, you know, that the solution is, is very simple. You know, just like somebody who has, let's say, a peanut allergy, um, identifies peanuts as their allergen, it's their responsibility to abstain from peanuts 100%. If I have identified sugar as my allergen, it is my responsibility to abstain from it 
100%. But in addition to the bodily component, I have a mental component. And so, again, I have a responsibility to implement the 12 steps as laid out in the big book um, in order for me to recover fully from, from this malady, you know, because I need to arrest the mental component as well as the bodily component. And not doing that, not uh, becoming abstinent and working the steps would really be a, a dereliction and an abdication of that responsibility. Um, and that is entirely up to me. That is entirely up to me. It is my choice. So I need to say um, I cannot hide behind the fact that I have a disease. I have to uh, get the best medicine possible um, in order to recover, just like somebody with diabetes or any other illness has to do the same thing. For me, that is abstinence and the 12 steps according to the big book. And, you know, um, that's just the bottom line. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Roz R., please go ahead. Uh, can I be heard? Yes. Hi. Um, hi. This is um, Roz R. from Florida, recovered compulsive overeater. Grateful to be here. Thank you for your service. Um, I didn't even think I was, I was gonna, not even going to share tonight, uh, today, but um, had this little opportunity to slip in. So I'm very grateful. Let me set my timer here. Um, okay. Um, I love this reading. I love all the readings in here, but um, it took me a long time to to believe this is an illness. And even even in believing it was an illness way back when, I just didn't believe you had to do this on a daily basis. And I never did increase my spiritual life, and I never really wanted to sponsor people because I didn't know how to sponsor until I was actually sponsored um, through people in vision. But um, the, the line that stands out with me only because I just experienced it Warped lives of blameless children, um, sad, you know, sad, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents. Um, I just came back uh, from visiting my daughter in Georgia, and I had planned to make an amend to her, to her. and God provided a fabulous opportunity, and um, and I did. Uh, we have a great relationship, but I I had pretty much emotionally abandoned her for several years while I was doing my, many years while I was doing my own thing. And um, it was such a it was such a beautiful moment. It was like I I stepped out of being her care her per, the person she has to care give because she's always worried about me and stepped back into my role as a mother. And it was so amazing because after I made my amends, she was able to share with me things that I guess she just never felt like you know maybe I can't share with mom because you know she she you know I might send her into the food or and it's always been about the food when I visit her you know she's always hiding food from me and this time you know it's like I went I went carrying God with me I don't know it was so different every place I go is different everyone sees that I'm different um, it was such it, it was just so amazing I, I you know I'm, I casually can't even express it but I do want to say I was looking through an old journal this morning. Um, that I didn't know some pages were still in there. Sometimes I rip them out when they're old. And I found me saying in there, I don't think, I, you know, I can ever stop binging. And, you know, I, I just, it was also, it was also hopeless. And it was also um, uh, just like, 
you know, had no idea that what laid on the other side if I did the work. I didn't know what the work involved until people told me, you know. In a lot of the rooms, you know, they coddle you. Um, and vision, I, I never got coddled. I, I always joke with a couple of women that I talk to, I always used to say, you slap me around, and we laugh about it. Um, but, you know, the truth hurts, but the truth is all I can give now. Um, I just wanted to say two more things. One, page 53, you know, God either is or isn't. I mean, that is huge for me. You know, if I believe that God is, then I, I can trust and I can turn things over to God and I can turn my life over to God. And the other thing is, is, you know, I'm sponsoring now and it's like the joy of it is like something I've never experienced. And I think to myself, how many hours a week am I sponsoring? So it's minimal compared to what I was binging a week. Um, anyway, I know my time is up. Thank you for letting me share. And this is an awesome way to live. Thank you. I passed. Thank you, Raz R. Vasa O, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Kathy, thank you for your service, and I'm grateful for recovering. Recovered compulsive reader calling from Florida, an illness. And for the first time in my life, uh, when I came to the first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, I heard it was an illness, it was a disease, it was addiction. I had allergy, the physical allergy, and uh, it was going to gradually kill me if I didn't do the work the way it's laid out in the big book and if I didn't stop eating um, the sugary things or the carbs. And uh, I was really shocked to hear it was a disease, you know, I remember saying, or, or, a, or a drug. I remember saying, how could it be a drug? Everybody eats, you know. I could understand a little bit more about drugs and alcoholism, but somehow I thought, well, they should put it down. And then I had a lot more compassion for those people, you know, you know, the drinking and drugging, because it's an addiction, like the addiction I had to food. They couldn't stop by themselves. And, um, and my mother had the disease, and it killed her. So I, I, you know, and I remember saying, or the doctors telling my mother or the family, you've got to stop eating, you've got to stop eating. Well, she didn't have, the, you know, she didn't have programs. She didn't have the 12 steps, and she couldn't. She didn't know how. She didn't even speak the language, you know. But now I understand. Now I understand, you know. And, uh, again, I'm so great. My food addiction didn't kick in until I was, like, 15 years old. I didn't even know. It was a food addiction. I gained 20 pounds in one month when we came in America. And, you know, I probably was born with it, or probably I would have had it in the old country, but we didn't have the foods that we have here in America. So once I put the food down, I remember my sponsor said, now we got to go to step four. You know, we are eating over the things that are eating us inside, the character defects and traits. So I'm just so grateful that I have found the solution Finally, and it was hard for me to raise my hand and to say I was compulsive over eating, but I raised it little by little, and now I'll raise it all the way up. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. It is now time for us to close this part of our meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Thursday, March 23rd, 2017, is 9757. 
We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Uh, Let's see. Chrissy G., can you please read a vision for you on page 164? Press star one to unmute. Can you hear me, Kathy? Now I can. Thank you. Okay. All right. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you, ha- what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 